chapter 16. My bad. We're going to read the first 13 verses. I had trouble deciding uh, where to stop, but we'll read verses 1 through 13. It's on page 875. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, you could grab that. Thank you, Brother Freddie, for just a clear, so helpful, accurate uh, presentation of the gospel to frame the Lord's table. So not comfortable with the popish practice of you only drinking the cup, but uh, nevertheless... uh, you wasn't either, right? He repented in midstream. That's good. That's good. All right. So thank you for modeling what you talked about for us. So uh, Luke chapter 16. I'm so busy being a funny guy. I haven't found Luke 16 yet. But this is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called to him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first... How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, set down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his Shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. In much, If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, uh, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in uh, that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. It's drenched in all of your wisdom and goodness. 
And so we would pray this morning that your word, not being merely true, but living and active, would be at work in each of our hearts and lives this morning. Father, teach us. Moreover, change us from our time together in your word. May truly our worship of you extend now even as we receive your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. This is the next to the last week that we will spend some moments together in the parables. We've taken the summer and we've meandered our way through various gospel accounts that, that contain parables. Parables, I would remind us, deal in comparisons. Uh, this, this meaning some earthly thing, some earthly situation, some earthly story, this uh, is, is arranged in such a way to, to make a comparison to some sort of um, uh, spiritual or biblical truth or reality. All the, the parables help us in this regard. And um, I put this parable off to the next to the last. It, uh, it's a tricky parable. Uh, at least on the surface it's tricky. Fortunately, in God's kindness, the more I stared at it, the more I molded over, the more I marinated in it, um, the less tricky, the less ambiguous, the less problematic it became. And yet on the surface, um, it feels weird to, to read this account uh, of this man, this manager who wasted his owner's wealth. And yet when we get to verse 8, the bombshell drops on us. We're expecting the owner to show up and unleash a can on this guy, and he shows up and commends this guy. Two things I'm going to bounce back and forth with in our time together this morning is certainly we will spend some moments together considering the corruption of this dishonest manager. But we'll spend more of our time trying to sort out this matter of the commendation upon or for this dishonest manager. In fact, the question that I, I hope that we can make sense of as we um, spend these moments together considering this passage is, for what was he commended? you got to be kidding me. This story, the way that Jesus tells it to us, is designed, at least in the first seven verses, um, uh, to cause us to probably not like this guy. This guy had engaged in uh, gross mismanagement of his owner's stuff, of the, of, the, of the stuff that belonged to the owner. And the owner fires him. We read, there was a rich man who had a manager. The manager was hired, if you would, by this rich man to manage his stuff. He was a steward, uh, a caretaker of this man's wealth. 
And charges were brought against him. Who's the him here? It's, we have to be really clear, particularly in our day and age, in our culture, the rich man is not the dishonest man. I, I know that may be a category explosion for us. Uh, we live in a world in which we, with filled with greed and envy, we think that all rich guys are the dishonest guys. Not all rich men live north of Richmond. We have to consider that as we consider that song. Yes, rich men do live north of Richmond, and they make laws for us and whatnot. But the dishonest person in this parable is not the rich man. The the dishonest person in this parable is the person that the rich man hired To be rich or to not be rich is not an automatic indicator of one's moral state. It's huge that we grasp that. I mean, because otherwise we would think, hey man, let's soak this rich guy. And so the dishonest manager is actually the hero of the story. This is not why he's being commended, by the way. Well, the manager finds out that he has been fired. And the next thing we learn about him makes us, at least in my estimation, the way I was raised, it makes me dislike him even more. It says there in verse 3, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. In other words, I'm allergic to hard work. And I'm ashamed to beg. Unlike the other song, he, he is too proud to beg. I don't like this guy. He mismanages stuff. He's lazy. And yet what he does next it plays into the question, for what? Was he commended? He said, uh, uh, so um, so in, in uh, in verse four, so I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, so when my master finally shows up and takes the books away from me and I'm done, I still got the books, and so I've got one last ploy. I can go from, uh, from mismanaging my owner's stuff to now what my plan is to misuse my manager's stuff. But I'm going to do this, he says, that people might receive me in their homes. Now, in this context, I think what he's saying is that I'm going to go to to these debtors, the people that owe my master money, and I'm going to work out a deal with them so that they will like me. So that when I'm out of work, I'm, I'm in cahoots with them. I have ingratiated myself to them. And so he, he calls some guy in. He goes, uh, hey, I got the books here. Uh, by the way, how much do you owe my master? He says, well, I, I'm, I'm into your master. Um, a, 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 a hundred measures of oil, probably olive oil. Each measure was probably eight to nine hundred gallons. So how much is that? Is that like... 80,000 gallons, or you got to watch me. I'm not good with, with me. It's a whole bunch of olive oil, in other words. I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, you, you owe my master um, 
100 measures of oil, right, let's just make that 50. Again, I don't like this guy. What right does he have to play loose like that? And yet, do you see what he's doing? He's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm now this guy's friend. It goes to the next guy. He says, uh, and it's just those two examples. I would suggest you is probably he probably goes through the whole books. This is probably quite an ordeal here. But it goes to the next guy. Just another example. He says, "How much do you owe my master? I owe I owe your master a uh, hundred measures of wheat, which uh, probably a measure of wheat was probably a thousand bushels. So that's a whole bunch of wheat as well." Tell you what, we'll cut it by a fifth. You now owe my master 80 measures. I mean, not since the idea was floated that we could cancel student loan debts in order to garner votes was such ingratiations made. But then we come to verse 8. And we read verse 8 that when the master shows up, we're like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to get his due. The master, I can't even say it, can I? The master commended the dishonest manager. For what? Well, it tells us. It, 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 it tells us in, in terms of the scope of the parable itself, but then the, the following, the succeeding verses that, that unpack uh, what is mentioned give us further clarity on what, for what the dishonest manager was commended. Again, verse 8. I'll see if I can read it all the way through. The master commended the dishonest manager for his Shrewdness. Now, I, the reason that it's hard to make sense of this parable is because we really want to make sure we get it right as to what Jesus was commending. And one way we can help clarify that is to make clear what Jesus was not commending. Jesus is not affirming the propriety of this manager's sinful actions. But what he is commending, what he is affirming and approving of, is the principle of, if you would, prudence. This guy is commended because he's shrewd. Now, there's a whole cluster of words that that kind of denote the same kind of thing, and yet they have different connotations to them. What our passage here calls shrewdness could also be maybe considered in the family of prudence or could be in the family of crafty or in the family of clever, in the family of wise, in the family of foresight, in the family of good judgment in the family of thoughtfulness, in the family of astuteness. And yet, while each of those denote a commonality, they also connote different, a range of, uh, of, of moral estimations to them. Uh, 
this man is being commended because of something in the category of shrewdness. I would suggest to you a word that maybe seems to more palatable or make better sense to us is really something along the line of wisdom or prudence. This, if this dishonest manager who was using dishonest means to achieve dishonest ends is commendable, then we really have to lean into, tell me again what it is that is commendable about this guy. Let me read it again, and then let me read on into verse 8 and into verse 9. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And in he, I think he, in a sense he explains what he means by this commendation for being shrewd. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, that unrighteous wealth, wealth used unrighteously, I take it to mean, uh, that they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This guy was dishonest, but he was also prudent, shrewd. And what is commended upon this guy is that principle of prudence or shrewdness that, that put him on a trajectory to plan and to prepare for what's next. What is commended here, in other words, is the wisdom, the cleverness, the astuteness, the good judgment that, uh, that propelled this man to take action to prepare him for his future. Now, the takeaway then for us is not so I get to be dishonest this week? No. I, I, I get to use dishonest means? No. I get to achieve dishonest ends? No. What it does mean, what is committed here, commended here, is this guy thought about his future, and in light of his future, he planned and acted accordingly. In light of what he anticipated was up next for him, uh, he made preparations at the present to put him in a good place in the future. If a dishonest manager um, using dishonest means 
to achieve dishonest ends is commended, then how much more, by way of extravagant contrast, how much more shall people like you and I be commended by our Heavenly Father if we, with the same sense of prudence in righteousness, use righteous means to achieve a righteous end? We don't stumble into deploying righteous means to righteous ends. We have to think about it and be wise in developing a plan of attack, if you would. Not for the purpose of dishonest ends, uh, but, but the principle is that we would take the thoughtfulness and the consideration and the needed wisdom and astuteness, and we would plot a trajectory that would take righteousness and righteous means to accomplish righteous ends. We'd be thoughtful. So if even a sinful man has occasion to be commended when he acts with a measure of thoughtful wisdom, and that's what is really being commended here, in which he calculates the implications of his plans and actions, then you and I, for altogether different outcomes, Nevertheless, should see our need for wisdom and prudence in which we calculate the implications of our plans and actions. Or to borrow the language of verse 8 and 9 further, if, if the sons of this world... If the sons of this world are willing to do what they do, and what do they do? They work, and they think, and they plan, and they invest energy, and they devote time, and they give their heart, and they have zeal, and they deploy wisdom. If, they, if they're willing to do all of that to achieve that which won't last... Jesus is, isn't saying, so therefore, um, that's what's going to happen to them. No, he uses, he uses something commendable about them to say that we who are, in verse 8 and 9, sons of light should even be more willing. More willing to do what? More willing to put in the work and the thought and the planning, and the energy, and the time, and the devotion, and the zeal, and the wisdom into that which will last for all eternity. I find it intriguing. Um, and this is not random. Luke has moved the Spirit of God to carefully craft this gospel account. But, but this 
parable in chapter 16 comes to us on the heels of the previous parable in chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son or sons. And, and, I, and I think there's a couple of points of interesting, intriguing comparison. And for instance, the younger son in, that we looked at several weeks ago, um, he squandered all of his stuff. He had no prudence. Uh, he was a scoundrel. He was a fool. And he wasted all of his stuff. That... When he came to his senses, he was freely welcomed home. The father didn't say, get away from me, kid. You wasted all your stuff. You're worthless. You're not not anything to me. Get out of my house. He gets a stick and chases the kid out of the house. No, he goes and gets the robe and the ring and fattens the calf and throws a party. He welcomes this squanderous living son back into his house. And the point of that is, I don't care what you've been up to, up to this point. Come to Jesus. Repent and come to Jesus. Come home. Nothing will satisfy your heart quite like the love that the Father has for you. It's the same love that the Father has for his Son. And yet, what this parable does, because it's interesting, that parable of the prodigal son uh, was, was told to the Pharisees in the context of Jesus eating with the sinners. And, and yet, in this parable, we were told in verse 1 that Jesus talks to his disciples, those who already came home, those who already belonged to Jesus. Because that answers a really important question. If, if I have lived a life of squanderous living and I repent and turn to Jesus, am I welcomed home? You bet you are. The next question is, now that I'm home, how should I live? Now that I'm home, Now that I have repented of a life of squanderous living, wasted my stuff, now that I'm home, what should I do with my stuff? I should learn to live wisely, shrewdly, cleverly, astutely, with good judgment in regard to my stuff. You see the the connection between the two parables? Jesus takes lives that, that train wreck themselves, and he puts us right back on the correct tracks, and, and then he gives us the wisdom to know how to stay on those tracks. You see, that might disrupt some of our categories or concepts of grace. The grace that freely welcomes us back home, the f- grace that freely enables us to come to Jesus even though we are undeserving of coming to Jesus. But that grace, once we get back home, does not result in lackadaisical living back at the house. 
We don't continue to live squanderously back at the house. We now are put on a new trajectory because that's really what repentance suggests, that we used to be going that way, but when we said we repented, it now means we're going that way. And grace enables that repentance. Grace sustains us in that repentance. And grace then results in you and I, perhaps for the very first time in our lives, being able to live a focused, hard-working, carefully planned, genuinely earnest, decisive direction that reflects that we are living in the moment in light of our future estimations. We are shrewd. We are shrewd, not in all of the particular details of the way that the dishonest guy was shrewd, but we are shrewd in that he anticipated what was next and, and, and made changes at the present to affect what was next. And you and I are called to be at home in the house of God, and yet you and I are called to live with that certain kind of, again, what do you call this thing? Shrewdness, or what connotes a, a more positive term is prudence or wisdom. We are home, we are eternally loved. And yet, in the Father's house, we are entrusted with many things. We are managers of our Father's stuff. Well, what kind of stuff? Well, if you read here, it certainly includes money. Uh, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you may receive, it, it, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Uh, and then on down before he's done in verse 13, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Every penny that you and I have is uh, a stewardship. We are managers of what our Father has entrusted to us. He says, here, this is what I want you to hold on to for me. And yet you will give an account for every dime I've given to you. Now, he's not an honorary CPA. He's a loving Father. Nevertheless, we will give an account for every dime that he's entrusted to us. And really what this passage is teaching us is you and I need to be shrewd or prudent or wise or astute to use our present wealth to effect the outcome of our eternal dwelling. I'm not saying that the way you and I use our money earns us a place in heaven. And yet what I am telling you is what Jesus told us. 
if you and I don't know how to be faithful with little things, and compared to the wealth of heaven, whatever amount of money you and I have is little things, some of you may have more little things than others of us do. Well, we sing songs about you. You live north of Richmond, but, but nevertheless, whatever amount of stuff we have, we are really just managing little stuff. And the degree to which we wisely manage and spend and save and work for and obtain this little stuff has bearing upon bigger stuff in eternity. In other words, we, we look at our money and we consider eternity. And eternity defines what we do in the present with our money. But it, I would suggest to you it's more than just money. It certainly is our abilities. It certainly is our time allotments. I would suggest to you that you and I have even a stewardship of our physical bodies. The way we would uh, treat our bodies to the things we ingest or refuse to ingest. The way that we exercise them or refuse to exercise them. Because our service to the Lord occurs in a bodied, bodied state. And if we ruin our bodies, we weaken our ability to serve the Lord. Because we're going to serve the Lord with our bodies. It took me bodily getting here for me to be here this morning. And so our bodies are a stewardship. They don't even belong to us. They belong to the Lord. He's bought all of us, he's bought our body. Our, we have a stewardship of our minds to, to cultivate our minds so that the things that we dwell in are, are upon in our minds are, are things that are like true and good and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. We, you and I don't have permission to use the stewardship of our minds to think of things that don't fit into those sort of categories. You and I have a stewardship of our relationships. The Lord has entrusted people to us, friends, co-workers. The Lord has entrusted children and grandchildren to some of us. And these are stewardships that we would say, how can I build into these relationships? How can I raise children? How can I support the raising of grandchildren? How can I come alongside friends? How can I aid in the work of my coworkers with a view to eternity? I don't know how to solve this. Well, I'll just go ahead and put it out there and and uh, let somebody else solve it, but you and I are training our kids to be something. Maybe your kid uh, is on the honor roll. Maybe your kid is on the varsity soccer team. Maybe your kid has uh, been approved by an Ivy League school. That's fine. You've raised them to point them to that's where it's at. That's important. That what de that's what defines reality. But none of that, none of that 
None of that takes into account eternity, where we would teach our kids how to play soccer, but we wouldn't tell them about the importance of nurturing a relationship with Jesus for their own soul. We're not thinking. We're not thinking shrewdly uh, with prudence, with wisdom. We're not thinking about the present moment in light of eternity. We're just thinking that they may show up in the commendation section of the Mid-Rivers Weekly but we really want our children and grandchildren's names to show up in the book of life. We think about the future, and that affects. We have shrewdness. We have wisdom. We have prudence, and that prudence helps us to know how to manage uh, things like uh, honor roll and uh, Ivy League and soccer programs. Because we're in the Father's house. We're managing the father's stuff. And the father said, here, I'm going to give you some kids. You'll answer to me on what you do with them. Because they're my kids. You see, the eternal condition of our souls are being clarified by how we look at our stuff at the present moment And we use it and deploy it and put it into play in light of eternity. Or what Jesus would say elsewhere is, wherever your treasure is, whatever you're most treasuring, there your heart is as well. Let's make sure that we truly are home, that the Lord truly has our hearts and that our hearts are at home The point is, the point is, is that we must not be outdone. If the wicked know how to live with uh, prudence, if the wicked know how to live in light of their perceived future and that has bearing upon their present, how much more do us who has the source of true wisdom How much more do us who have the source of that which can never be destroyed or stolen? And so we look at our stuff, we look at our lives, our wealth, our abilities, our times, and what we do with that stuff, the way we look at it and size it up and assess it and the way we deploy it in service for whom has bearing upon the next life. If you're living squanderously this morning, come home to Jesus. If you're at home with Jesus, be wise. Because the very one who laid down his life to pardon you and I of our squanderous living is the one in whom the entire source of wisdom resides in. Turn to Jesus, get his wisdom, and then plan accordingly. Father, thank you for your word. Father, may we not waste our lives. You have rescued uh, us from our sins, not so that we can continue to live a wasteful life, 
but you've rescued us from our sins that we now would live a wise life. In you, Jesus, you have all the wisdom that we need to know how you want us to live. You died on the cross while we were foolish and wasteful and squanderous, and yet when you were raised from the dead and when you joined us to yourself with your spirit, we can now walk in wisdom and in integrity and in righteousness. We now have what we need to lay up treasures in heaven. Thank you. For we pray this in Jesus' name.